today we have with us three incredible guests. One of them you may already know from our previous podcast, Edward Janvier. And we also have Eric Zeng and Arun Mani. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast. We have a really interesting topic about funding college education. And I know that I'm going to be picking your brain a little bit. Also get a whole lot of knowledge gained from what you guys are going to share. But before we do anything, why don't we do this? Can we go around the room and introduce ourselves? Okay. Thank you. Oh, this is Eric Stens. Actually, I originally come from China. You know, I've been in the United States about over 10 years. And I used to be working as IT consulting. I had my own business. But later on, actually, I transitioned into this financial industry about five years ago. Okay, I have three kids. The, and the oldest one's just passing 10 years old. The second is seven. The last one's about nine months. Okay, wow. that's all for it. My name is Arun Mani. I have been in the U.S. for the last 20 years. I used to be an engineer by profession and then started doing management consulting in terms of product management, product strategies for multiple interest industries. And then for the last one year, I've been transitioning into an entrepreneurship role, doing a lot of things and then wearing a lot of hats. I have a wife and two daughters. I live in Naperville for the last six years. Uh, good evening, everybody. So my name is Edward Janvier. Uh, I've been in the U.S. for about a dozen years and from Haiti. So my background is engineering and ministry. So that's the two fields that I operate in, mostly uh, professionally and uh, spiritually. I got started into the financial industry because of my own needs, uh, looking for answers and uh, realizing that uh, those answers could be beneficial for other people. So it's a ministry to carry, we continue to carry on, so. Thank you guys for introducing yourself. I, I would love to know what got you started in the finance industry, because obviously you guys talk about your various backgrounds, but yeah, I mean, finance industry is, there's just a lot of things you can do within the finance industry. How did you guys get started? Basically five years ago, I witnessed something that happened that really changed my view. It was a wake up call for me that I needed to do something different. So you might be going to school, you have various degrees, but you still, nobody really gives you insight on how to manage your own personal finance. Uh, I faced a situation where I witnessed a family that if I was in the same situation, my family would have been even worse situation. So therefore that was for me, a click, a light bulb came on. I said, I need to do something. I started to do some research. And fortunately, Eric, he was one of the person when I started to talk to that who guided me towards a wealth of knowledge in the financial industry, which I found very beneficial. And now that I can use to help other families to set themselves better. For me, math is something very easy for me to understand. I was always an introvert when I grew up. So math was the easy language for me to understand and communicate with. Mm -hmm. uh, so when I became an engineer, obviously financial industry became my hobby, right? Like, you know, I started investing in been 20 years. I've been, I've been involved in, in some way or other in, in the financial industry. Uh, but very, very similar to what uh, what Edward was saying, right? Like, you know, you you come across events in your life that really changes you, right? It, sh it shooks you a perspective, actually. Mm -hmm. So I had a couple of those near misses with my close friends and family who, even though they are very well off, when suddenly some kind of unforeseen event happens, I have to depend on GoFundMe and stuff like that. Right. So, oh, wow. so that really shook my perspective about what am I doing in terms of my financial future, right? 
been in a management role for a very long time. I manage a lot of projects which are multi-million dollars <laughs> in worth, but still when it comes to a personal finance, I felt like like I'm I'm still in an elementary school actually. Uh, and then this got more emphasized when I actually started identifying some of these different products that's available for us to explore with my my MBA friends and MBA colleagues. I found out that they are equally ignorant about some of these things, right? So it mm-hmm. seems like it is known to a selected few, right? That's when I think I. It, it, from my hobby, it became a passion for me mm-hmm. to educate families about what is out there, right? Mm-hmm. That can help you not only for you to grow your finance, but also to protect your growth. Mm-hmm. And in fact, leverage it efficiently so that whatever milestone you want to achieve in your family moving forward, not only just for us, but for our kids, that became my goal and passion, actually, in fact. And that's when... Uh, I met some like-minded people like Eric and, and Edward and everything else became an history in terms of uh, learning. We are still learning together, actually, okay. uh, right? That's the important thing, right? You know, when we talk about uh, why financial industry, it's a ocean, right? And then you can still learn. Good stuff. Wow, good stuff. Erica, can I please ask you to tell us how you got started in the finance industry? Yeah, for sure. You know, I really amazed about the two gentlemen sharing, you know, the only thing I envy about is they have two daughters, but I have three boys, right? So that's make me even need to working hard, right? You know, there's a lot of investment for the kids. But where I study is actually, you know, one thing I was invited to one of the kids education seminar is actually exactly what we share a lot recently. Because I'm, I'm wondering, you know, we weren't looking for this information. But in my experience, I sit down with a lot of, you know, professionals. I listen down with a lot of advisors. But my question is, I, sometimes I don't find a very satisfying advisor can answer all my questions. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, I, I don't think those questions are very that hard. Maybe as an engineer, we want to get into the detail, but sometimes you just feel like you don't get the decent answer from a lot of advisors, mm-hmm. right? But very interesting is one of the seminars I was joined. I was impressed by all the information I listened, and I realized there's a lot of blind spot I didn't know before. Mm-hmm. Okay, as a business owner with MBA degrees in finance and entrepreneur, I was very shocked. Mm. I thought I was doing okay. I just need to make up several small points, make them even better. But I feel like I was totally wrong about a lot of things. Mm. So that made me think about, you know, maybe I just need to learn more, mm. right? So I just started a program because I was so happy to actually provide program where people want to learn. Mm. But during the learning, I realized one thing is in actually in financial industry, the efficiency to make money is way more higher, way more faster than the IT industry as well. Mm. That made me more curious about how the business working here because we all know finance is number one industry in the whole country, right? But we can share more details about that. But for me, like as a business owner, I always think about how to really make a business expanding different ways. And we always, always open-minded to new things. Hmm. I think hmm. that's very important. Okay. That's, I think I just, how I started to learn. And then I realized that's a way more better industry. And that's why I actually transitioned to here during the COVID even selling my IT consulting business because I just want to focus. I know this is way more better one compared with what I'm doing so far for the past 10 years. So I'm curious, uh, Eric, you mentioned going to an education seminar. What made you want to attend the education seminar in the first place? Because the tuitions for the kids is very expensive. I have three boys, right? Right. I have one of my partners, actually, he said, you know, raising kids mm. to university is like you pushing one of the Mercedes cars from the 
mounting to the bottoms every year, mm-hmm. right? Think about it, you have three boys, how many cars you need to sort it out, right? That's making me think about, wow, that's a lot. No matter how much you earn, you need to know what usually people are doing, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like we have to do, at least we know what the option is. Then we can decide what will be a good one square frame. That's, you know, where I starting from. Mm-hmm. I originally thought, oh, I just make, keep, keep making money, keep saving in the right place, keep it growing. But I realized that later on, I realized, wow, that's actually a lot of other options. There's some ways actually even actually can make us way more easier. You know, that's something that's bringing me in, in the beginning. Okay. Now talking about funding college education, Eric, I'd love to start off with you because again, you mentioned you had this question in the forefront when you got started in the financial industry, right? It's one thing to, to understand that, yeah, we all need to, as parents, worry about how we're going to fund college education for our kids. But why do you feel it's important in terms of financial literacy to become basically literate about what are the different options in funding college education? What are the differences and what are the different scenarios that are available for different types of families? So I was saying this way in the beginning, when I start to think about, especially have more kids coming out, right? So I feel like I have estimation how, as how much I need to spend for the kids, for their school. Mm-hmm. But one time when I realized the tuition keep growing, not only about what it is, like, you know, 60,000, 80,000, right? When I see the news, Chicago University become getting 80,000 total a year. I think, oh, that's a lot. Think about four years, how much I need to spend on one kids, mm. right? But which is surprised me a lot is like, not only about the tuition, but the growth rate annually for the tuition is about 6% to 7 to 8% every year. So it even surpassed the medical expenses growth ratio, surpassed the inflation rate. Mm-hmm. So which means you're not only about thinking about amount right now, you think about amount after 10, 15 years, and my kids getting there. Mm-hmm. That's scary, right? No matter how much money, that's a huge. And that's why you, you see some notes. The more you research, you realize every new graduate from the school, the student loan about 37,000. And the country, the number one debt, Right now, it's not about credit or not about whatever. It's a student loan. It's the biggest, biggest pressure for the country itself. So that's a problem, mm-hmm. right? But the other interesting things I always share with family later on, I learned that is actually a lot of times people don't know there's a free money called financial aid, right? And there's a one, one kind of money called endowment fund, which is actually prepared for in the school. They use the money to pay for the financial aid for those students. But the 2018 numbers, there's 0.2.6 billions, and it was B, 2.6 billions, the endowment fund was not claimed. What that mean? It's not like people don't qualify or they don't get it. It's not claimed. Mm. That's huge. They don't know. They don't know. Right. That's, they don't know, or they don't feel it in the right way, or whatever the reason they get, don't get it. Right. Mm. So even they don't even try that. So that's very interesting, right? About one side is 30, 37,000 students, no average graduates. The other side, there's so much money, the school willing to give in out, but no one, no one applied for that. That must be some problem, right? So you realize, okay, that's already something. And, you know, and what's the qualification with that? How we actually do the financial aid? Even I always told, oh, Eric, you guys are IT. You guys are, you know, you know parents both working. There are no way for getting financial aid. I got so many, all these advice from coworkers, from neighbors. But the other side, I was told, oh, there's people earning income over half a million. They get financial aid, about 30,000 per year. I said, mm-hmm. wow, that must be some reasons I don't know about it. 
right? That mm-hmm. like, same thing sometimes. Why these rich people don't pay tax? There <laughs> must be some reason we don't know. Then that's something we need to figure out, right? If you know the options and you know all these different scenarios and you choose some scenario you want to, that's part of a choice. But if we don't know, that's a different story, right? That's all the things where I'm coming from. And that's all the things I think is very valuable. It's very, very powerful. If we can share this information to most of the families and most of the parents, especially, mm. right? The lack of knowledge, I'm telling you, this, the ignorance that people have, like me, they don't know that they can apply, that they should apply, that there's money just sitting on the table that they can claim, right? That's insane to me. Also, I wanted to, to emphasize on one thing is that what is a big problem for a student who is graduating with a student loan? This is something that people need to understand because one of the, the reason why I'm saying is that it's all about the tendencies, right? Like, you know, if you ask any American, hey, you want to go get graduated, what do you think your life will be? They automatically say that student loan is part of the thing that I need to pay off when I graduate. Again, it comes to that hab- habitual manner in which how we design our life moving forward, right? Mm-hmm. So they already bake into their psyche that they are going to pay out the student loan, whatever the student loan is for their education. So there are a couple of things happens because of that, right? Number one is that they start having less amount of money for them to, to think about investments. Like what Eric was saying, right? You know, hey, why not we start early? But I cannot start early because I'm paying like $1,000, $2,000, which is almost 30, 40% of my, my take-home pay for student loan, actually, right? So that is number one. And number two is also like, you know, when you are young, you can also have your risk you can be more risk oriented guy, right? Like you can make, take a lot of risk in terms of investments, in terms of opportunities and stuff like that. But because you have this student loan, which, which is weighing you down, you, you become risk covers in terms of investment. You become risk covers in terms of exploring opportunities because you want to be in safe zone rather than thinking about, okay, I, I want to go to a place where I can grow faster. Right. Mm -hmm. So this is a huge problem for any student who has a student loan. Okay. Mm -hmm. Almost 66% of any student population graduating has a student loan, which is huge. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's why we we are talking about why or how can you avoid the student loan. Then let let me ask, what options are there for planning ahead? I'd love to get an overview of the different options available to parents. And there are quite a few options available for parents and for the students or even for the close relatives to contribute for the students, right? A couple of the uniform gift for minus act, actually. So it's got UGMA, right? Mm-hmm. And the uniform transfers for a minus act, which is UTMA, right? Mm-hmm. They are like fancy names, right? And then, then 529 is another one which you, you generally see. And then Coverdell, which is a education savings account. And then, of course, you, you have some unconventional tax advantage, insurance-based investments as well that you can leverage for your college funding. Another way, like, you know, what Eric was saying, and then probably we'll, we'll go into that is, how can you leverage all these things and reallocate your asset in such a way that you are eligible for, for the huge endowment that's out there, for which, which we call it as financial aid? One of the th- questions that I, 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 I like to parents, you know, anybody who's thinking about college to think about, to see what option that you want to take is to think about who do you want to pay for your college, right? That's a question that we ask 
Mm. Parents, I have two kids. I feel obligated that I want to pay for their college. I have talked to many people who have to res resign to the idea that the kids, I'm going to put you to school. If you want to go to college, you pay. But actually, we have three entities that, that are part of that conversation. You know, we can see how we can make sure that it's beneficial for all parties, right? Mm -hmm. You have parents on one side, you have kids that could be a potential payer, and you have institutions, the schools, mm -hmm. they have the funds, mm -hmm. they can be a partner in the, into this one. So now, depending on who you want to be paying, our, our own just showed us in here why is it bad to get the kids started with that debt because it started so low and so many things beyond college are impacted because of that mm -hmm. so we want to make sure that parents are thinking ahead trying to find good ways to save and if we can find some institution to come alongside of us mm -hmm. to pay for well i'll take that any day mm -hmm. so that's my positions and i would advise any parents to start position yourself so that your kid doesn't bear the root weight of student death, but partner with, make sure that the institution that your, your kids are contemplated to go to pays for them to come study. So there are ways to do that. And in, in, in most of the ways that I, I won't say there, I, I think they are pretty good ways that people use. And depending on how you shuffle them, they, they might be beneficial depending on your situation, right? So one thing I, I've i learned in understanding funding college education is that there's usually no one size fits all, right? Because somebody may be getting started who have younger kids, so they may have more quote unquote time uh, to build up to funding college education. Somebody who may have kids that are going to go to college in the next uh, four years, right? Uh, what options do they have? So can you help me understand some of the pros, cons, benefits, drawbacks amongst the different options that uh, Arun, you mentioned? Maybe there's, you know, high level costs that uh, people don't know about in some of these options. What about tax savings that might play a role? You know, uh, maybe limitations of when it can be withdrawn, any penalties? Are you just limited to using those for funding college education? Can you use it for other purposes? Can you uh, help me understand that? Yeah, for sure. For sure. To answer your question, which is, you know, bad options, what's the cons and pros? I think it's always starting from, as you said, what's your expectations? What is your situation? How long your kids need to get a, get a university and how much you want to put it, right? That's why usually we're talking about kids education. We have two main areas. The first area we're talking about the financial aid. We want people to understand this is what could be the options for you. And we let people understand how the financial aid is calculated, how you need to understand the logic behind the financial aid calculation. Hmm. So you can decide whether you may be qualified or may not be qualified for that. Hmm. And in order to make the financial aid calculate what is really matters, how you put money in the right place, you may be qualified for the financial aid in a more positive way. But again, hmm. after understanding, you say, I don't want it. I want to give the money to all the people who need it. It's your choices. Again, Understanding and deciding without knowledge is different, mm. right? So that's what I first concept about understanding financial knowledge is the concept. The second about the preparation, then we 
go back to our rules mentions, right? By understanding financial preparation by, by financial aid, then, then whatever is how we make accumulated money, right? Based on all these options, right? Because I feel like it's a, it's a lot of very deeper topic because we can keep talking about all these options in, in, in another session. But basically we analyze all these options based on, you know, first things is whether they are, have some tax benefit, as you said, right? Whether they have some contribution limit, how much you can save under that accounts, mm. right? And at the same time, any usage restrictions is that just can only for use for kids' education or can use for other purpose. Or if we don't use for kids' purpose, any penalty for that. And also for sure, there's any things relate to what we just mentioned, whether it's friendly to financial aid or not, mm. right? So this is different aspect. And also the last thing is how long to actually need to accumulate it. Right, this one could be, you know, putting like five years would make it. The the others maybe need to ten or fifteen years, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, bes besides our room mentioned about all this UGMA, UTMA, Coverdell, five twenty nine. Sometimes some people people may also bring that. I have savings, I have CDs, I have mutual fund, I have stock. Or some people say I have like a lot of Chinese parents. I have properties. One kid is I sell one home. I make all the money to pay their tuition. You know, it's all like decent choices. Different family have different foundations, right? But regarding the first things about tax benefit, most of them, they don't have tax benefit, which means whatever you save, you don't have any tax, uh, either credit or don't save tax for you, right? Especially, you know, the mutual fund, the real estate or UGMA, UTM, they have some small tax benefit because it's under kid's name. So what it means by UGMA, UTM is typically is, is, a, own, is a custodial account. You save under kid's name, which once kids get into age of 18, they have full control. So which means during the accumulation period, it's under kid's name, so their tax rate is very low, okay? But the, the downside for UGMA, UTM is after kids get into the age of, you know, 18 or 21, depends on the state, they have full control. Whatever the money is saved for them, it's all become them, it's all like by one night. That's very dangerous, right? Mm -hmm. Think about, I have three boys. If I save money for them after 18, I lose control. That's a very scary thing, right? You don't know what they're buying, right? So mm -hmm. that sometimes depends on people, right? Mm -hmm. And also UGMA, UTM, as I just mentioned about country limitation, usually you can only save about 15,000 per year, right? And it's, it's a federal gift tax exemption, right? So if you want to save more, no, you have to pay tax for that. Or you actually would deduct your lifetime tax exemptions, right? For cover though, that's another very popular education saving accounts, right? Yes, so they, okay. they do have some tax benefits, okay? But the limitation for this is actually they are only can save, you know, like 2,000 contributions, very small. And the most important things, they also have some income limitation, which means if you're high income, you may even not qualify for contribute those money, right? Mm -hmm. But a good thing, good thing about corridor is that you can actually use the money. You can do any education, any level of education, not only for the high, you know, in the university, but also high school in a private school, right? So it's again can use for different purpose, right? Mm -hmm. So that's why a lot of things when we're talking about this, this idea, most people will end up with five twenty nine because it's a dedicated saving accounts for. The, you know, the kids' education, which means for university. And most banks, they were mostly promoting this idea, right? Mm -hmm. But is that 529 the only option or the best option? Again, it depends, right? 529 have a very great benefit about tax saving because all the money you put in, if you use in the future, once they grow with market, by the time they get into college, if you use for qualified expenses, like you know, tuitions, room and board, or certain brand of computer, which school required, you can use them and it's all tax-free, which is it's very good, mm -hmm. right? But sometimes, you know, one thing I said, it's only for qualified expenses. 
So whatever, because we all come from other countries, whatever, we send our kids back to our country to do university, which is, could be possible, mm -hmm. right? So in that case, then all the money is staying there. You cannot use the money for them to, to the, for the tuition for other countries, mm -hmm. right? Oh, what if they're good enough? They get all the scholarship. They don't need your money. Or some people actually, they have their podcasting or have a YouTube like you. In early age, they make enough money. They don't need them, your money. Then mm -hmm. all the savings or you're in your four to five to nine. Either you change to another kids or you change to your grandchildren or you have another diploma. You want to do your own, own school, mm -hmm. right? So they only have a limitation about using. At the same time, also contribution. 15,000 uh, 15, per year for one parent, which means like 13,000 per kid for family, right? If you have multiple, you can put in more, but they also have some contribution limit as well. But you can use fast funding. You can pay up to five years, right? But the most important thing is I just said for five to nine is first is the only for qualified expenses for those tax benefits. The most important thing, second, is they are counted as an asset that which will impact your financial aid possibility or at least mm -hmm. decrease the amount you're given as a financial aid. Right. Mm -hmm. So again, these are different ideas. We always say, always we want to educate a family first to make sure they understand the pros and cons. But it's a very deep topic because even talking about five twenty nine, each state is different. Each mm -hmm. state is five twenty nine plans different. Five twenty nine also including saving plan and prepare plan. Right. So that's something we cannot just easily summarize as well. And the last idea is in the past five, 15 years, it's actually very popular. If you go to a lot of webinars, a lot of people actually utilize that to funding the college as well. It's called you know, IGIP or insurance, like we call like a cash value-based life insurance, okay? Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's, it's still a life insurance. It's not a college funding. Again, we always want to make it very clear. It's an insurance products. Mm -hmm. It's not a kid's education plan products, but okay. because the benefit, because how to utilize they actually have some benefit to want to use for the kids education plan. But hmm. there's a lot of deep topic about that because the benefit about tax, tax benefit, the benefit about how, how much you can contribute and benefit most important thing is don't count as an asset to impact on financial aid. But again, hmm. there's a lot of details things we can always mention, you know, but I just feel like this is some incentive. I can share with you guys a little bit, but I would say if we can sit down because every family is, always, is different. Mm. That's why I think at least if you know this option, you know this idea, then we can give you more detailed insight. And even we don't need to give you the solution. You will figure out which will be fitting your family the most. Mm. Okay. Mm. That's all my part. I think it's already very detailed. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Okay. This conversation can get complicated very quickly, but we want to keep it simple, right? College is expensive. We all know that. We all need to do something about it. If we have kids who wants to go to college, we want them to go to college. Now, we cannot control what that kid would do if they would really want to go to college and where they want to go to college if they want to. So that providing ourselves the flexibility to prepare early, starting preparing early is very important. Mm -hmm. Providing ourselves enough flexibility that if the ch plans change, then we are not risking so much penalty or because of the money that we use, because of the vehicle that we use mm -hmm. is very important. And why they created, you know, a specific account for college education funding is because those accounts, they have embedded into them some type of advantage, whether it's tax, whether it's you can pay less today, you can pay college today, and tomorrow, regardless of the price, 
you don't have to pay for. So those advantage, see if you can maximize them as much as possible where you can, depending on your situation. Mm -hmm. So now, as we are looking at, the equation is simple. Expensive, who pays for it? How can I have flexibility to pay for it if I, want, if I need to pay for it? Mm. That's the three things for me. Yeah, I, I think that's a good summary, right? Uh, what Edward mentioned. Only thing that I, I would I would like to add: it's a complicated scenario, right? Uh, it, it's it's maybe customized scenario, maybe uh, maybe complicated is a is a loaded word, but maybe a customized scenario depending upon different families' needs, right? Uh, but uh, some of the common themes that we need to take take into account at a very high level is flexibility, right? Uh, because see, anything can change you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years from now. So our plan sh should be flexible enough so that it can fit into any scenario that we face, right, mm -hmm. uh, in the future. Number two is risk, right? It's not just what Eric was saying, like, you know, it's a ticking bomb at 18 years uh, and giving my rights of like about a million dollars to my kids and I don't mm. want them to have that right, mm. right? So not only just that kind of a risk or in terms of ownership risk, but also in terms of market risk because most of these underlining plans might actually utilize our investment markets, right? Mm. So that means that you are, you are inheriting the market risk along with it. What is your understanding and how much you need to understand those market risks for each of these plans is important. Mm -hmm. Number three is what Edward and Eric said, like, you know, how long you have for your kids to go into education, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you should start early, right? You know, preferably when, when the kids are born. <laughs> right now, the people are talking about when the kids are conceived, right? Mm -hmm. the sooner, the better, right? But if you have not done it, how can you leverage? What are the plans that you can leverage? And mm -hmm. I think more importantly, this is how I see it is that you cannot look at any of these things in a silo, like education planning or, or financial aid or mm -hmm. even overall education alone in a silo because our family has a lot of needs, right? Our immediate needs, like, you know, what are we going to do in short term in terms of paying mortgages and paying some emergency funds, right? Mm -hmm. In terms of long term, like what, what are we going to do for our family, like in terms of retirement, actually? Mm -hmm. right? So... So there is a lot of buckets that we need to think about. And I don't think thinking about education planning alone in a silo will, will, will help. You need to look at it at a, at a broader category of how everything fits into your life and what you need in terms of uh, your life. And then what are, what is your financial situation right now? Hmm. And then you can actually proceed and see how exactly education planning fits into that broader picture. Please That's stay tuned so, for the second part of this podcast so, coming next week. The ideas, techniques, approaches, information, and opinions expressed in this video or podcast are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Sotastic LLC and its employees. While the primary purpose is to educate and inform, it does not constitute professional advice or services. We hope, however, that the content presented here will assist you in developing a strong financial understanding and mindset. You may not edit, modify, copy, or redistribute this video or podcast 
with any other website, computer, or playing device. Use of this video or podcast constitutes acceptance of these terms. All content of this video or podcast is subject to copyright international law. No private or public means or blog or website can repost or reproduce or modify and post its content without the written consent of Sotastic LLC.